Well, great to see all of you this morning. I know we have kids and students among us on this Family Worship Sunday. And I want to let you know that it is okay for your kids to wiggle, move around. If they're crying, it's all good. It does not impact me at all. We're just so glad that all the kids and students are here with us today. And all of you joining us online, we also welcome you. Well, we are coming to a conclusion of our summer teaching series, looking at songs or hymns that have shaped so many of our, mind, our people, our minds and hearts. And um, what we have learned over the summer is that many of these hymns have been written by authors and composers who've had their own personal dramatic conversion experiences or the authors are addressing the, 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 the cultural norms of their day, allowing the scriptures to speak into it. And the final hymn that we're looking at is Great Is Thy Faithfulness. A hymn, a song that was birthed out of a deep, deep suffering moments in our U.S. history, coming out of the great World War I, right before the Great Depression of the 1920s. I know that many of us are familiar with this hymn, even if you're not, you will be in the future because over 500 different versions of Great, great Is Thy Faithfulness have been recorded. It was made popular in the 1950s, coming out of Moody Bible Institute. In the 1970s, Billy Graham Crusades would sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Then uh, Carrie Underwood coming out of American Idol. You have Maverick City in New York. Then even VeggieTales have their own version of this hymn, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. If you recall, if you were here in the, 19, uh, I shouldn't say 1920s, in 2000s, our former senior pastor, Ron Skates, encouraged the members of our church to memorize this hymn, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, this hymn is written by a man by the name of Thomas Chisholm, Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. He came to know the Lord in his late 20s and later felt called to, be, to go into ministry, but because of his poor health, he later decided to become a, a, a life insurance salesperson, which I think is pretty clever. It's, pretty, it's, it's, it's good fact, right? Uh, like former Geico or State Farm insurance person could write this incredible hymn that so many of us are singing. The, the, the words of him draws uh, deeply or heavily from uh, the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. And if you think about it, we don't normally turn to book of Lamentations for inspiration. Why? Because it's about lament, it's about crying, it's about suffering. And the author Jeremiah writes about his incredible fear that he had as he was looking at the surroundings of his own nation, as he was watching his own nation crumble. But at the same time was looking into the future and he saw great hope. And by the way, did you know that fear and hope, they all, they're almost come together hand to hand it's as if they always, almost always appear together. They're rooted in the same, same background. Here's what I mean by this. Parents, think about this upcoming school season. I know many parents and kids, you are excited about this upcoming school season. For parents, you'll get your rhythm back coming out of the summertime. You'll get your weekdays back. And, and for kids and students, you'll get to see your old friends, perhaps your old school teachers, your, school, your sports, dance, music, activities. It's all starting back up. So there's an incredible sense of hope that's happening in the upcoming fall season. But if truth be told, there's also fear, right? Like with all that schedule, all the places to go to, all these extra activities you need to be involved in. 
And for our students, there's this sense of like fear of, what if I'm not in the same class with my good friend? Or what if I don't feel accepted when I go back to school? Real fear, fear and hope, they go hand in hand. I also remember when, uh, when Lisa and I, we were planning for our very first, fa- not family vacation, our own vacation without the kids on the airplane ride. There's this incredible sense of like euphoric hallelujah chorus. When you're planning for a trip without the kids, you leave them behind, obviously with someone else. Um, so like Lisa wanted to go to Hawaii. I wanted to go to Vegas to watch a UFC fight. We compromised. Maybe we went to San Antonio or something like that. Anyhow, there's, uh, there was incredible hope. But as we were planning, you know what started to happen? All this fear started to come up. Like, what happens if something were to happen to us while we're traveling? Or what happens if something happens to our kids? What if they don't eat? Or they eat too much? What if they don't, uh, what if she can't find her stuffed animal when she goes to bed? Or what if my son cannot go to the bathroom on his own? All these weird thoughts started propping up because hope and fear, they greet us each day. So in the midst of life struggles, when we have fears and anxieties and pains in life, the question that we're asking is, how do we find hope that lasts us for a long time? Because All of us at some point will experience emotional pain. And some of us right now, I believe, are going through a long-term, long-term struggle. And that's why today's hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and today's passage from Lamentations is a powerful word for us. So please turn your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. You'll see the words up on the wall as well. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 23. This is God's active and living for us today. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me give you a background to this passage. The year is 586 B.C., and Jeremiah is describing the downfall of the city of Jerusalem. And it was considered one of the most difficult moments in all of Jewish history. The scene was horrific. Thousands of people died, uh, viciously savaged. Women and and mothers, they were reduced to starving. The influencers and intellectuals were taken into captivity. And they couldn't worship God because their own temple, their temple was, was destroyed. So think about what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now. That war, that invasion has been taking place for about six months right now. And we have seen the images on media with people, uh, women, children leaving their own nation, people dying. So you multiply that by 11 years. 11 plus years, Jerusalem was being besieged by the Babylonians led by King Nebuchadnezzar. People were dying and leaving. And it's, it's out of this suffering, deep suffering. Jeremiah is writing what he's experiencing, his own personal understanding of what was taking place. And what's interesting about Lamentations is that for the first three chapters, uh, it's pretty sad. 
Because Jeremiah says, life is hard, life is tough, life is full of pain and difficulty. But something happens in verse 20 where, where he says, you know what, there's, there's something else that's happening. And he has a sense of hope because, again, fear and hope go hand in hand. And listen to what he says in verse 21. He says this. I call to mind, he says, yet this I call to mind. In other words, he is remembering his past. He's, he's, he's intentionally thinking about his past. And what does he recall? He remembers that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the very God who rescued Israelites from Egypt is the same God who is with them at this moment. And he remembers that God is faithful, that our God is, is a faithful God. And as we understand what Jeremiah is saying here is that he's saying that at your worst moment, when things are not going well, even when things are so messed up in your life that our God is there for us, that God will show up, his love will not run out, and the Lord extends his mercy, his hand of mercy each day. And this theme is captured in the first stanza of today's hymn. It goes like this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will, will be. So we need to define faithfulness. What is, what is faithfulness when we say God is faithful? When we say God is faithful, what we're saying is that we are declaring that God is constant. He is unchanging. He is committed. He is trustworthy. We can believe in him. And in good times and in bad times, God is there for us. And yes, we will experience momentary hardships or even long-term struggles, yet God will never leave us or forsake us. And I think what we need to reflect on is the question of, if God is faithful, what is he faithful to? To what or to whom is God faithful? Because if we say, if I say something like, a pro athlete is faithful to his or her team. Well, you know what that means. You know that I'm saying that a person is loyal to a team or to a city, and there's this incredible mutual affection taking place between the fan base and the athlete. By the way, does anyone know here which NBA player has spent more years with a single team in the history of the NBA? Who is most loyal NBA player? Dirk Nowitzki. I heard it. I think from one of our elders sitting in the front. Yes. 21 years with Dallas Mavericks, loyal, faithful. But what is God faithful to? Here's the answer. God is faithful to himself, to his word, to his character. God is deeply rooted in his own character. God will always do what he says he will do, and he will keep his promises. And there are two pictures, word pictures, that we see in the Old Testament that describes the faithfulness of God. And the first word picture is what we say, we even said this today after our prayer, that word is amen. Amen. Amen is untranslatable Hebrew word that means so be it. That's the truth. So when we pray, what we're saying is, Lord, we are in agreement with you, and we believe by faith that that is true. We believe that you will come through. It's not just a wish. We, we truly believe that God can come through. That's a word picture. And here's a second word picture. Exodus chapter 17 in verse 12. 
you ha- we have this image of Moses with his arms raised up. Do you know this story when the Israelites are, are fighting the enemy Amalekites? And as long as Moses has his arms raised, that he's, they're winning. The Israelites are winning. But whenever his hands are going down, they were losing. So what happened? His two friends come, and they were helping to raise up his arms. Many of you know this story. But here's one I didn't remember. I always thought that Moses was standing by himself and with others, kind of his arms being raised. That is not true. Scripture tells us that he sat down. Where? Look. They took a stone and put it under him. That word stone in Hebrew is also translated as cornerstone. Faithfulness is like a rock or cornerstone. It has the capacity to support you or hold you up at all times. In other words, faithfulness is that God is stable. The very nature of God is that God is stable, unbreakable. God is steady. And and let me show you how God's faithfulness plays out in our everyday life. To our kids and students here, when we use the word faithfulness, it's not just this abstract or theological word, some weird word, but we truly believe that faithfulness, word faithful, is a practical thing, practical word that we get to see and experience every day. So let me share a couple of ways how how God is faithful to us. First, God is faithful to give you peace when there are troubles in life. Now, as I'm serving this room, I recognize that many of us here in this room, we deal with fear and anxiety. Some of us deal with constant anxiety. There are very few of us here who have this ironclad emotion, and you don't, you don't have any fear and I admire you. You are, you are incredible, right? You, so for those few of you, um, you may be tempted to tune out what I'm about to say. So let me, let me say a few things to, to make you worry, to fear you right now, okay? Um, there's, I'm, this is my attempt to give you some fear. There's this thing called doomsday clock. And some of you may have heard of this illustration before. The doomsday clock was created by U.S. atomic scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project in the 1940s. And doomsday clock is a metaphor that represents how close humanity is to self-destruction and how close we are in, in creating our own technological uh, uh, future things that would create an end to who we are. So midnight is considered the end of human life. So as closer you get to midnight, the closer you are to complete annihilation of human civilization. By the way, I'm not making this up. Albert Einstein was part of this society. And the question the scientists ask is the question of, are we safer today compared to what happened in 1945? And 1945 was when U.S. unleashed the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The closest we got to midnight was in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The clock was set two minutes prior to midnight. Well, since then, last year in 2021, the clock actually ticked closer to midnight. 100 seconds. Why? Because of the threat of chemical warfare. Artificial intelligence robots attacking humans. Increase in genetic engineering. Space warfare, hypersonic missiles, drone attacks, terrorism, global pandemic, and possible no Wi-Fi for teenagers, (laughs) which could all lead to end of human extinction, right? 
Now, let me, let me go ahead and emphasize, the clock is a metaphor, but th- the threats are real. Are you nervous? Are you getting a little tense? If not, I'm going to give you another illustration here. <laughs> if you were traveling this summer, going on vacations, most likely you were sleeping, whether it's Airbnb or nice resorts, you were sleeping on a used bed. Because as far as I know, most hotels have beds that were used by someone else right before you checked in, right? Did you know that a typical used bed contains between 100,000 to 10 million dust mites? <laughs> I didn't want to show this picture, but for the sake of our children here, I want you to know what dust mites are. Do you know what's worse? 10% of the weight of a two-year-old a pillow can carry dust mite carcasses and feces, 10%. Are you feeling tense now? Are you feeling a little stressed? You, you see, we come, we come to believe that peace for many of us is an escape from stress and pressures in life. But what we learn in chapter 3 of Lamentations is that peace is not the absence of trouble, but peace is the presence of faithful God. Let me show you another painting here. Some of you have seen this painting by Jack Dawson called Peace in the Middle of a Storm. Uh, what you're seeing here is incredible raging water, storms, thunder, lightning. It does not look safe at all. There's nothing that says about this is calm place to be. But if you zoom into the painting, what do you see here? Right behind the waterfall, what you see is a bird's nest. And it's a little birdie. And somehow this bird is resting in peace. And you have to wonder, how did that bird get there? And why did that bird go into that storm and build its nest, right? And for some reason, the bird flew there knowing that there is a safety in the storm. Because you see, real peace in life is when God allows us to go through those situations where there are raging waters and storms all around it, but you feel safe because you know who created those waters and you allow, you know who allowed those storms to happen in your life. And many of us are not at peace because we think that true peace is getting to a place in life where there are no troubles and hardships in life. You know, anyone can trust God when life is good, when it's always sunny, when birds are singing, flowers are blooming. But what happens when it's cloudy and lightning constantly? And I know some of us in this room, you have been experiencing that. You know what it's like to go through long-term struggles in life. But what we find in Lamentations is that when there is fear, there is hope. No matter what circumstances we're going through, no matter what is around us, that there is a God who is standing beside us because our God is God of amen. Our God is God of stone, cornerstone, stable, firm, always beside us, holding us together. And let me tell you a second way how God is faithful to us. Not too long ago, I was talking to a member of our church who is 80 years old, and he said to me, Jay, I feel like I have so much more to give in life. I'm still sharp. I'm active. What can I do for us, Holland Park Presbyterian Church, our church? What can can I do? I want to serve. And he said, there's only so much of golf that I could play or do leisurely things. I want to help. I want to support. So we talked about how to be involved in a discipling relationship with others. 
You may not realize this, but the moment you sincerely gave your life to Jesus, God enrolled you in his plan. And that plan is for ultimate transformation of your life and my life, which is to be more like Jesus, for us to be complete and mature in Jesus. And as Rick Warren says, God always finishes what he starts. So look at verse 22. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion fail not. And that word consumed is an interesting word because it means wasted, depleted, exhausted, completely tired, consumed. So when Jeremiah says that we are not consumed, what he's saying is that, what he is saying here is that, that God's love will never run out. That every day God resets, every day God restores us, that his mercies are new every morning. And that's why this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, ends with this two verse in the last stanza. String for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings are mine with 10,000 beside. And there's this image, this vision of bright hope for tomorrow. Why? Because God will personally see to it that he will carry us to the end. Because God is in the business of, of, of doing his finishing touch unto the work that, that he started. And here's the best part. That God will complete the work that he did not finish here on earth in heaven. Perfection will come in heaven. Philippians 1.6 says this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this day will be an amazing day because on this day, we will see Jesus face to face. No more tears, no more fears, no more weakness. All the wrongs will be made right. What we're experiencing right now here on earth is just a fraction of what we will be in the future. And because of the faithfulness of God, God is asking us to respond to him because he is so good. He's so good to us. So whenever we come to this table, the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is that there is truly something and someone who allows us our sins to be pardoned and for the peace that truly that endures. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the son of God, came from heaven to earth so that we can have life. 100% perfect, divine being, 100% human to be one of us, to die the death that we deserve so we can have life with God. And this table represents a glimpse of God's perfect kingdom in his heaven. So it was on the night of his betrayal, our Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took this cup saying, this cup is of the new covenant. Sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you drink from this cup, do this in remembrance of me. So every time we eat from this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Will you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the vision that you have given to us. Bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings upon blessings. 10,000 beside. Overflowing. Your mercies are new every day because of the faithfulness of your Son, Jesus. 
So as we come forward, will you allow us to see just a glimpse of your goodness and kindness? Thank you for dying for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.